0: Yo, what up? You've heard how every superhero has their origin story, right? Well, welcome to the Can't Believe I Made It podcast. I am your host, Desi Abeta. I'm a high-performance mentor, registered dietitian, and family man. Tune in as we explore the high-performance habits of high performers, their origin story, and how they went from disbelief to belief in their own hero's journey, where they got to a point and shouted, Can't Believe I Made It. Enjoy the episode. What is up, Camp Believers? I am your high performance mentor and registered dietitian and host, Desi Abeta. I am so excited to have this man on our podcast. Uh, if you do not know Andres Ayesta, you will after this pod. You know, aside from being one of my really, really great friends, I am just so thankful for him as a person. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever been able to share this on any of my platforms but this man you know the first time that he had asked me a long time ago and I was I was just starting off as as the dad dietitian just starting to to create my message and my brand and and trying to find passion behind it you know he had reached out to have me on his podcast which was then the Viva Nutrition Radio now the Nutrition Blueprint podcast so he had asked me to be on and that was the start of my entrepreneurial journey you know from there I was able to connect with uh, our business mentor that he had at the time. I was able to connect with so many great entrepreneurship uh, friends, and it was the story was written from there. And I'm just so thankful to have him on the pod. Now, there's so much about Andres that I that I really respect, not only just as as a, as a business owner and a dreamer, but for looking at his hero's journey and you're going to hear a lot more about his story. And I know he's told it in other places, but I don't ever think that I've gotten the full story and him and I have been friends for the past four plus years. And it's been tremendous to not only see him grow, but to get to know his family. You know, I, I got it. You'll hear a little bit of the story. I got invited to him and his wife's wedding back in May. And it was just so glorious to see two tremendous people, falling in love with one another and knowing both of their stories. And at some point we're going to have his wife GB on it. And, and I'm really excited to have her on so that she can tell her hero's journey. But in so many ways, these two people just mean so much to me and to have Andres on and to have you hear his hero's journey, where he came from, where he is today, what it feels like for him to, for him to say that he made it. It's just, it, it screams hero's journey and it screams triumph. So I'm so excited for you to enjoy this episode. I hope you love it. Please make sure that you hit him up, give him a follow. I'll talk a bit more about his story during the pod. Much love you all. Peace. Yo, my man Andres Ayesta is in the mother building. What is good, dude? What's going on, man? I'm pretty
1: happy to be here, dude. I, I like what you're doing with this new uh, Can't Believe I Made It podcast, man. Um, very excited for this when I saw it and I love the artwork too.
0: Oh, the artwork is fire, dude. I, I actually had a friend who used... Uh, her name's Tara Funk. Shout out to you, Tara, when you listen to this. Uh, I've had a friend who used her before, so she had threw up a couple mock-ups, man. And this is one of the ones that just really spoke to me. And I sent it out to all the family and friends and everyone loved this one, man. So uh, like I said, I, I said this off air to you, but this is super serendipitous to have you on, man. I, I think... What started my journey was you inviting me onto your podcast uh, when, you know, when I was rocking like the dad nutritionist vibe. So to have you on, man, really means a lot, dude. So welcome to the pod, brother.
1: Yeah, man. I'm I'm excited to be here. Um, you, yeah. You've been on my podcast a million times. So like, yeah, I think it was time. It's a time I'll actually kind of return the favor. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I get to make the rules now, man. I'm running this shit. Okay. Yeah, Not I'm you. Sure it's, <laughs> yeah, it's usually you. Um well, man, so I for our listeners out there, obviously, you kind of got a little intro on, on who Andres is. Uh, Andres, you know, one of the coolest things about your process is not only just being, you know, getting to be one of your really good friends and having a front row seat to your success and, and where you've come from. I also get to see like the vulnerable parts of you that are really cool. And, and I figured we would kind of start like the wedding. Right. So I was a late entry. <laughs> I, think, I think I decided to come took, like three so days convincing. It took some convincing yeah. to get you to be there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I was a, uh, so our listeners out there, uh, my guy Andres here uh, married his beautiful, beautiful best friend and wife, Gibi, uh, at the beginning of May. And so, three days before, I decided, like, all right, I got to make this happen. This means a lot to me to be able to see them go through this life moment. And so, I wanted to be there. So, I figured we would start at the wedding, man. Um, having, having like, two months removed from the wedding itself, uh, what, are, what were some of the biggest moments for you? Like, some of those, like, life moments for you that you really just were like, damn, that was dope.
1: From the wedding, specifically?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I think it was something I never um actually celebrated anything big in my life um so i didn't really have like a big kind of birthday party ever or like a big graduation Mm -hmm. or anything like that so for me um my wedding had to be that day um and it didn't happen because we were supposed to get married may may 1st of 2020 but you know pandemic hit and uh yeah and we were forced to kind of like change some things around um so obviously that was that was a big thing for us um and and it happened and it was like everything that i've really envisioned it to be it, it kind of went by too fast um, but yeah. uh but it was it was that moment for for me and 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 for me to be able to kind of share that with friends and family um and 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 just kind of like share that important day of my life with my yeah like you said and my best friend and my partner in, in crime and my partner in life uh g b so, uh, so that was why it was such a big, something that I really didn't want to like, cause we, we had the choice to just say like, let's just call it off. Let's just kind of do something small and, and whatever. Yeah. And it was like, I, I chose not to, you know, this is, this was yeah. so important to me, no matter how much it costed, uh, no matter how much or how it was going to be. And, and it was worth it. Every penny yeah. that we spent, every time that we spent doing it, um, it was, uh, I, I, I I can't, you know, it, I can't take it back. It's, it's incredible. You know, the, the, yeah. the experience that we had.
0: Man. And, and it was, it was a huge blessing to be there too. You know, I, I remember, and I really relate to you as well. You know, when, when Callie and myself got married, like we had a handful of people that we skillfully and methodically selected uh, because we wanted them to be part of that day. And and for, and I said this to you, like for me to be a vitamin, that really meant a lot because it, it was probably the same thing for you to skillfully methodically select people that you wanted to share that moment with. And so I'm kind of thinking back on, on the night and I've always been a sucker for like, uh, groomsmen speeches, right. Or just like best, uh, best man. And then obviously made of honor speeches, because that's where the person gets to be extremely vulnerable with what they've gone through with the person, how they know the person. And so, um, Coach Smish, man, uh, shout out to you if you ever hear this, but your, your best man was one of your earliest friends when you got to the U.S., correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah. Well, okay. not earliest, I would say probably like after I started my actual career, not in school, uh, uh-huh. but it was more like when I actually started being and practicing as a dietitian.
0: Yeah. So like that, you guys share a special friendship. And so he, for, for our listeners out there, he had this really heartfelt speech. And one of the things that really spoke to me that I was like, shit, man, I don't really think I, I fully understand what this story is. Um, he said he saw you working out and he had this moment where he was like, I got to know that man's story. And that's the thing. I remember sitting there like that hit me too. Cause I was like, you know, I know your story from the time that we met and beyond. Right. And there's just so many chapters and things in there that I've seen. Like I've seen like both of us be together, very vulnerable in the same room. We're doing the same process and, you know, having different outcomes. And, and I was like, man, he said that. And I was like, damn, I need to hear his story. And then fast forward two months now, I get this opportunity, man. So I kind of just want to go on the heels of of Coach Smith. is like, all right, dude, what what is your story? So uh, let's yeah. start there, man
1: so yeah that's literally exactly what he said and um i don't remember exactly what my response response was then but it was probably something along the lines as uh, my typical intro when something you know along the lines of like hey i'm i'm, I'm from venezuela um mm-hmm. i came here in 2009 and uh just to become a dietitian i wanted my dream was obviously to to work with professional athletes so here i am but obviously the more like detail um kind of story traces back to uh, to my home uh, which is venezuela I, I grew up I was born um, and raised in um, in Venezuela and I was born in Caracas and I was uh, raised in um, kind of like the the east coast of the country um, and growing up I was the kind of kid that had pretty much everything um, big house uh, we had I remember at a time up until I was eight years old we had two mercedes bands we had a boat we had um, a motorcycle (laughs) we had like a really beautiful kind of like nice house uh in a really nice neighborhood so um that changed like 180 um because we pretty much like lost a lot of that um (laughs) and that was a very um time that I wasn't really sure what was happening so when i was eight years old we ended up moving from caracas which is like kind of like the capital kind of like the suburbia area so we live in the suburbs and and all Mm -hmm. those kind of like uh cool spots i was i was attending a um a catholic school and like private and everything so we ended up moving to the east coast to a farm and i was like i I wasn't really kind of piecing things together at the time, but I remember my dad trying to learn a lot about agriculture and growing crops and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and he was always kind of an entrepreneur, like marketing kind of like person. So it didn't really register really what was going on then. Um, yeah. So I moved and and it really kind of took me a few times a few to realize that we were actually not in a really good financial position then. Um, and that mm-hmm. was just an opportunity for us to do something different um and that's kind of where everything sort of like kind of like flipped over a little bit um and um and just fast track a little bit we we went through really rough times you know we there was a times we were never homeless but there was a time where we really couldn't afford a place to live so we moved with my aunt um at the time Mm -hmm. and i think we lived there for like a year my dad wasn't working he bought a farm that was very unsuccessful um and we were really struggling we uh you know, I, I think later a few years, probably was like when I was like around 16 or 18, 17 years old, I, I, I found like a notepad from my dad where he would write things such as, God, please help me. Um, mm-hmm. I want to provide for my kids, like, you know, give me like some answers, some, you know, kind of like freak out moments, you know, for him. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that kind of touched me. And of course, I grew up also that the key thing about it is like my family's always been like, they they literally sweat, you know, blood, tears, and everything. So, we could have, me and my brother, we could have everything that we needed. So, we still yeah. went to a private school. We still, like, you know, had clothes. We had everything. So, they sacrificed so much so we could have those things. But obviously, mm-hmm. that also took a toll for me because I, I grew up in a place where there was a lot of people with a lot. And we, not like, we had a whole lot either, right? So, we were kind of yeah. like you know that it, it obviously there were people like that too but it was just i felt i felt that right it was like seeing my friends having a you know cars and like they had like boats and all these different things that at some point in yeah. my life i'd had and i didn't anymore so so it was kind of difficult for me and ever since then i kind of had that that want that need to just want to not necessarily to have those things but to have the freedom to have them and mm-hmm. um and i i remember obviously that was kind of tough for me to be able to see those things. But I really buried myself in the books. I was still kind of like the kid that was social and enjoyed playing sports. Yeah. It did all kinds of different things, but I decided to say, I'm going to like study hard so I can have a good degree. So I can have a lot of money. Right. So I can have mm-hmm. a good job and all these different things like that. Um, so that's kind of where like the whole story started, man. Um, and you know, I, at some point I, you know, I was an eighth student, got all the grades, got everything. And, um, uh, when I was going to school in Caracas, still some of the same things, you know, same kind of environment, seeing people. I didn't have a car until I was like 21 years old. Um, yeah. I didn't even have a car when I was in Venezuela because I didn't really, we couldn't really afford one. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a, you know, really kind of pushing myself to be the best that I could be until I saw an opportunity. I was an exchange student here in the U.S. in Indiana when I was like probably in 2006 after I graduated high school. And mm-hmm. I never saw as an opportunity to stay because I didn't really like it too much. Because well, what you're gonna like about I mean, obviously Hillbilly yeah. Town, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and like yeah, I was like the only like you know quote unquote Mexican, even though I wasn't Mexican, uh, that was there. <laughs> um, so it was. Uh, I went back, and and obviously that's when I started school, and and I you know there was something that was just not clicking. But there was a very turning point in my life when like this is where i made like this like drastic massive decision to change and to do there, something different because i was obviously kind of living the college life but a little bit mm-hmm. too much i was the kind of kid that was like drinking pretty much every night of the week i was yeah. like i was still going to school that thing about me is like i would be partying i would do all different things like that but i would still show up for my i got myself done but, yeah. but obviously you get to a point where like sometimes even my parents are worried about it um because when I was 13, in order for us to be able to have the things that we had at some point, my dad had to make a really tough decision to leave, not leave us, but to leave our house to go and work in a different place. And ever yeah. since I was 13, we never been a family that's been in the same household um, up until I left, right? So, like, that was obviously another big kind of turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. So, um, I... You know because of that same reason like a lot of times like we kind of have some like the issues in terms of family and different things and and the, no different their areas but i found myself a lot in alcohol and 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 all those different kinds of things not necessarily as a problem but like i was just i just wanted to have fun right didn't really yeah, make yeah. money didn't really kind of give a shit about anything else i just needed to go to school get the grades and then just yeah. have fun right so it was not until i think it was uh, 2008 I think remember it was June 24th, um, hanging out with my friends. Uh, my mom was using my mom's car. I think it's probably like a Friday or Saturday night. Went out, drank too much, um, drove, you know, drunk, and then I actually had a really bad car accident. Uh, and I fled the scene, you know, being in my state of drunkenness that I don't even remember what was kind of going through my head as it nothing yeah. happened. And the worst part is like, I didn't even go back to go home because I was scared. I actually went back to go party. Um, yeah. and that was like a big, like, Holy shit. What the, what, what, what the hell am I doing?
0: That's a moment and, right there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I actually got chased by an actual like off duty cop at the time. Like, and he just saw everything that happened. So he stopped me. He was just so mad. He's just like, follow me. You're going to go back to the scene. And the first thing that happened then, I got out of the car and then there was like three or four people in the car. They, the car was just like total. Like I couldn't really do anything. Hopefully, thankfully everybody was fine. But like, yeah. you know, this, this girl just looked at me and just like slapped me like real hard. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, how dare hey, you? Like, how could you do this to us? Yada, yada, yada. So it was a tough moment. And obviously in Venezuela is the kind of country where you can kind of get away with shit. So yeah. Yeah. You know, just had to pay things off and whatever. And like, I mean, that's the kind of things in here would have happened and probably would have seen some days in jail or like it would have been, a you know, license removal or whatever, like of course yeah. it wasn't the case. But it, it wasn't really that the, the the issue or like the thing of my me kind of getting rid of that. It was just the fact that it just changed me. And I said, I yeah. can't keep doing this. So I decided to apply for scholarships. I already applied for scholarships, but I turned them down to come here to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, I turned them down because I realized that I, I I didn't think it was possible for me to do it because of money. Um, and I just, that weekend, I literally just said like, I'm done with this. And I, I contacted the, the, the scholarship coordinator and she literally just said, you're still on time, but you have to hurry up. So from, uh, June 24th up until August 24th. So two months I accepted, um, you know, to, to go to the university of Southern Indiana and, um, in Indiana I had to move different cities so I can go back home, remove all my stuff, get my visa situated, Mm -hmm. get my passport, all the different things happened in a period of two months. Which some people say like it's impossible to wait. Like I don't know how you did it in two months. Yeah. All I know is that ever since I made that decision, everything just kinda like picked up momentum and everything Mm -hmm. just lined up for me to for, for that to be exactly what needed to happen and um on august 22nd i think it's really when i arrived here in the us in 2009 and mm-hmm. and here's where i've been ever since you know like well, obviously yeah. like you know fast track the story went to school like you know all these different things like that and i actually wounded up in here in um in tampa florida now where now i own my own obis- my business you know 10 12 years later yeah. um now ever since like uh, that happened so um, that's probably like the, the shortest version that I could
0: <laughs> no I'm gonna make you dive into a little bit more because I think you mentioned a couple of life moments in there that I, I kind of want to dig into a little bit on that so um, I mean you talk about having a lot of things and, and having a lot of privilege at the age of eight and then moving and not really understanding why and and i and i would like to sort of dig into that a little bit so did that have anything to do with what was going on with the political situation in venezuela
1: no back then it was still um things were still fine it was just a situation uh where like you know this the, the where my dad was working at the time stopped really not mm-hmm. working out and and obviously like yeah. things were not going in the direction that they were supposed to go to i think obviously mm-hmm. we we had a we actually had a store then like a um like a you know place where they sell like you know comforters and stuff like that and like you know just yeah. kind of like a um towel i mean just kind of like stuff like yeah. that so so anyways um that was just obviously not cutting it for us in our lifestyle. So that's obviously yeah. where my dad has to start to, you know, yeah. giving away things. And it was like, okay, like, yeah, just take the boat as our payments and all different things like that. So that's kind of where, where we, we had to make some rash choices, but it wasn't really necessarily political, economical. Yeah, sure. Like mm-hmm. that's probably where it all started, but, um, that was about yeah. back in like, probably like 96. That was before Travis yeah. yeah. eras and stuff like that. So not necessarily related to that.
0: Yeah. Yes. I mean, you You talk about this other life moment too, obviously, with what happened with the crash and everything. So, I mean, you completely transformed your life in two months. What were some of the messages or some of the people that got you through that two months where, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I've had my own issues with uh, going out of the country. So, to be able to do what you did is is super impressive. So, are there people or moments in your life during those two months that you were like, this this has to change?
1: no it was just me honestly i think mm-hmm. it was at a time where like i i just had to make I, at the time i was dating somebody that was here actually so that was obviously there was a bit of an incentive for me to come back yeah um and uh and we had a long distance relationship and and all that so like that was the first person i ever shared that with and i was like hey like i i need to make something different and Mm-hmm. And obviously she was happy and, and, and all that. And she's like supportive, but honestly, I think it was just me making a decision. In fact, I didn't tell my parents for like, until I had everything situated. So I, I was like, so you're about probably, to like leave." <laughs> yeah, it was it probably took a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Once I kind of contacted people that I needed to contact and like making sure that this was happening. And it was not until like, I was like, Hey, um, I'm leaving. Um, and uh, I, this is how we're going to be able to make it work because they were still, my parents mm-hmm. were still supporting me. And one thing about them is like, they've always supported every, every decision I've ever made in my life. So yeah. they thought about it. that like, no, we'll make it work. And my dad has always had a saying um, since we were little, you know, and still does to the same day, which is like, God would always, God would always provide. Um, mm-hmm. And like, he lives by that, you know, like every time like things become difficult or tough or like we're filled with uncertainty. He always says that. And I was like, and mm-hmm. he said that it's like, God will provide. So yeah. let's just, just jump and 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 let's just take that risk. Uh yeah. so we did. And it was obviously the best decision I could have made.
0: Yeah. You know, you and I have joked uh obviously in our friendship about <laughs> where you landed in the U.S. Um, I would not have, have chose the Midwest. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> I didn't choose it. <laughs> it chose me. <laughs> it chose you. <laughs> so getting there, I mean, we've, we've had some funny stories about like you being at Applebee's and, and whatnot too, man. So let's go back into that time in your life. Um, what were some influential moments during that time? Because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, how, how was your English at that time?
1: It was good. It was, I, I, cause I was already being an exchange student. So like okay. language has never been, even when I came here, language has never been a barrier. I mean, I had a pretty strong accident in 2006 when I moved here. Um, yeah. but obviously that got solved after I was dating somebody for so long and, and all that. So by the time I came here, which is, yeah, it was, English was never an issue.
0: Mm-hmm. So if we're kind of thinking about that time, uh, let's kind of fast forward to getting you to, to Florida. Um, I really always loved the story of you and GB. So yeah, man, let's, let's kind of dive into that a little bit. When did you meet GB and and tell us about what was going on? So that was actually not until a little bit like after there's a lot of things
1: that kind of happened in between. So I, Mm -hmm. I, I went to school in Indiana. Um, and, uh, Still obviously like this is obviously the first time I had my first car, the first time I rented my yeah. own like kinda like apartment, all these different things. So it was like all these new things to me, which you never thought it was like possible. And that's obviously the kind of things the US kind of gives you compared to a third world country, the yeah. opportunity to have those things by working on an Applebee's and like being a servant in a restaurant. Like yeah. So yeah. so that's obviously some of the things that um that really kinda helped me do those things but um, I was still kind of like being trying to be that a student because of the fact that mm-hmm. they told me like in order for you to be able to kind of get this scholarship that whatever not scholarship the internship that you want in dietetics you have to get that internship you mm-hmm. have to really show up for you had to show off like you had to really show really good grades all different things like that to be so competitive they- yeah yeah, so when they said that, I was like, shit, okay, well, like, I guess I got to grind. So I did everything I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I shadowed, I, I I worked in places, I volunteered in places. I was the president of the food and stu- student organization. I was, you know, doing this and volunteering and all those different things like that. I did, I checked all the boxes that I needed to check in order for me to make myself competitive. And I ended up getting the, the internship that I wanted and the most competitive mm-hmm. internship, one of the most competitive internships in the country because it's like such a, a fast paced one in Houston. So I, yeah, that's another time a moment where I realized, like, you know what, I'm just gonna pick up and go. So the one thing yeah. the oldest time is I was not afraid. I was like, you know, like fearless. I was like, I need to go pick up and move to Houston. Okay, let's go. You know, yeah. I need to do this. Uh, let's go. In fact, I completed my internship in Houston and I got a job in Galveston, which is like a like the the coastal area south of Houston. It's like an hour away in a clear little yeah. city, and I wasn't I wasn't sold on it, and. I still had not taken my RD exam and I, I started sending res. I mean, I was like, again, fearless. I was sending resumes to people. I was like, Hey, like I reached out to like a w- bunch of different random people. And one person I reached out to her name is Stephanie Wilson. And she at the time was the director of, um, um, IMG Academy, which is like massive sports academy for nutrition, well, just in general Yeesh. for sports. And, uh, and I just sent her my resume and she reached out to me. And she's like, "Hey, we're looking for somebody. Like, I like, you know this and this and that." And uh, I interviewed. Um, I actually got the position, but she said you're gonna have to be here in a week. And I'm like, "Okay." Damn. <laughs> I was like, "Okay." And it's like, "And also, there's also a caveat. If you don't, if you don't have your RD, by the time that you move, your pay is probably gonna be half of that. I will still be able to kind of hire you, but you're gonna have yep. to like the pay yep. will be kind of cut in half." And I was like fuck that. I am taking yeah. this exam. So I decided to we'll figure this out. So yeah. I moved my, my test date. I had not even said it. I think I remember at the time. And I moved my test date like a week after. And I would have been studying for a month. I was like, you know, like let it be whatever it's, it, Let's it is. Let's figure it out. <laughs> and I took, I think I took the test on a Tuesday. I got the same day results. Um, they told me like, yeah, you passed. Like you're, you're a dietitian. I was like, fuck yeah. So like next thing, <laughs> yeah. I literally had to go and come home and then hire a U-Haul and, uh, or, or something, I, I don't remember exactly what is it that I did to just move everything out of our apartments to just bring it into a storage. I was dating another person at a time. So that was, again, another thing that was just like, this is exactly what's going to happen. So uh, yeah. two days, three days later, I ended up like moving to Florida, which is exactly how I ended up here. And that's where I met Matt. Um, yeah. but that was obviously the, the kind of like the, the biggest kind of whirlwind now the story with GB didn't really kind of happen up until like maybe two to three years after when I was in Orlando. Um, yeah. And it's just kind of like cheesy story. We were trained at the same gym, and uh, you know something just kind of caught my eye on her, and like you know we started conversations, and you know one thing led to the other, started dating, and uh, and here we are, married uh, six years
0: later. Van and and so for our listeners out there too, uh, you know getting to be both of their friends to to see the way that they connect and to see the way that they have built their their dream business and their dream work lives is is so it's so cool to see you know that you mentioned something in there that I want to dive into a whole lot more you mentioned fearless I just had to be fearless so obviously this podcast is about expanding and getting into the psyche of high performers just like yourself Um, what does it mean to be fearless for you and where does that come from that's not that's not something that everyone has, dude. And, and, and I think that you and I both can acknowledge that being in the business that we are, knowing the people that we do, not everyone has that. So what does that mean for you and where does it come from?
1: I recently was talking to one of my mentors on sales. Um, his name is Will Hinkson. Uh, shout out to you, dude. Um, and he told me that one of the things, and, and this is something I've known, I just didn't really kind of connect to exactly what that means of how I operated. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's like two kinds of people in this world that there is the people that are um, uh, courageous. And there's people that are like, you know, that kind of choose to be more and not necessarily in a demeaning way, but cowards, right? The cowards are the kind of people or the cowardice, like kind of like my mindset is like the type of mindset mm-hmm. in which you know, that there's a decision that you need to be made to be better at something, to improve, to just go to the next level. And you know, it's the right choice, but because of the fact that it kind of falls outside of your comfort zone, and that's obviously that at the edge of your comfort seat, right? Mm-hmm. You choose to simply step back and retreat and you say like, "I it's met, it's not the right time. Yeah. The mindset of a, um, you know, not cowardice, but instead of like courageous or courage, it's mm-hmm. you look at that edge of that seat and you're like, okay, this is the decision that I have to make. I have no idea where I'm going to land. I have no clue what's going to happen. And it could be terrible, it could be great, and they still make the decision to move forward. So yeah. to me, when I look at my life, <sighs> shit, I'm a person that has decided to be courageous regardless of what happens. And some mm-hmm. things, some other things obviously took me a little while to figure out that I really needed to do the same thing. Yeah, But my why, which is at a time I didn't really know what it was, You know, for Mm -hmm. the longest time, I didn't even know what it was, what was driving me until I actually decided to sit down and write it down. You know, like for me, my why was so strong that I, again, I had no clue what it was Mm -hmm. that I chose to always be courageous and always say yes to opportunities like that felt like deep in my soul that were the right decisions for me to make from moving to Caracas and not staying in my hometown to yeah. you know going and being an exchange student and like you know fucking indiana like in the middle of like hillbilly fucking, country fucking like, indiana <laughs> right yeah. like no, no no offense actually indiana is like the nicest people compared to florida like, yeah my florida. best friend
0: lives there florida. shout florida. out to you matt <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah florida <laughs> people are like in general like as, as people are gonna hate me for saying this but they're dickheads <laughs> that's, and, like, that's, like a, indiana, that's a new one yeah. they're super nice uh but like yeah. that's what made me make the decision to say yeah, i'm gonna go to the middle of like a cornfield in indiana I'm going to, and then like back again, like making the decision after I had that crash to say like, you know what? I'm going to like pick up and go and move to the U S or I'm going to go in and pick up and go to Houston, or I'm going to go and pick up and go to Florida. I have no idea what's going to happen or like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So I never stopped. Like I never yeah. once like say like, no, like, no, I, I just, I'm, I'm not afraid because to me, now when I look back, kind of connecting the dots backwards is like, I just feel like I was just more, I was more afraid of regret that I was obviously yeah. of kind of kinda like facing opportunity and, and seeing what life kind of had in store for me. So yeah. that's kind of what I feel like separated me out from, again, that people that typically have the mindset of comfort and it just kind of like to stay in that bubble because mm-hmm. just, they just, they just fear too much what they don't know. Yeah. That's the thing with fear. That's it.
0: I mean, that, that's, uh, that, that's the that's the caveat, right? I mean, you either choose to live a life of, just within this example, cowardice, where you know what you need to do, but you don't take that opportunity for for whatever reason, or you, you live in your power and you choose to be courageous. And so, um, man, you said something that you and I have always resonated with is like your why. Andres, what is that? What is that for you?
1: So my why is... It's literally like, you know, I I, I kind of bring it back to one moment when I said to myself that I don't ever want to experience what I experienced, kind of like the ins- uncertainty growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want the same thing for my family. And to me, that was reflected on finances and reflected on money and not because money buys solutions, but because mine, money gives me in a certain way, the freedom of choice for many things that I can do in my life. So to me, it's always been the drive to say, like, I want to build a business. I want to have all these different things like that. So when I realized that I was like limited on what I could do, that's, for example, when I decided to go instead of working for somebody, working for myself, because as a dietitian, unfortunately, you have a ceiling on how much money you can make working for somebody, Right. 100%. Or working in a, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a hospital or working for like, I mean, like I like the highest paying dietitian that working for like in a NFL teams they are still like they're they're making now what we my our company kind of makes in like, you know, in a year. Right. Yep. So, which is like, again, <laughs> at the top, like when they're freaking 50 years old. That's right? the so top, it's like, top. Yeah. Yeah. That's the top. I was like, I don't want to be, you know, that person that is like climbing up and then like working for somebody else's dream or working for somebody else's, So like my wise route is rooted on my wanting me wanting to kind of build a family that like has the freedom of choice and that money doesn't become an issue. And more yeah. deeper than that, to be able to, to kind of pass on to generations and leave a legacy that can stay. Um, mm-hmm. That to me is kind of what drives me, what kind of gets me up in the morning. And, and it's the kind of things that, I tried to, and when I realized, like, when I was like, why was I so, like, driven to do all these things and to to do all that? And and it's, you know, when I look back and I even haven't, you know, kind of putting this out in words, it's like, that's probably, that's what it was. You know, that's why I was so fearless to do whatever it took for me to do that. And I I even write it down, like, when I was, uh, I think it was like 24 years old that little life goals over there said by age 30, I will have established and successful nutrition business. And by age 35, we'll be making a million dollars every year. Um, mm-hmm. At least. And, and I wrote that with purpose, with intention. When I was like literally sitting down in an apartment um, in Orlando, like going to m- get my master's, I have no idea how to, qu- how to build a, a, a nutrition business, having no yeah. idea how to do anything and broke as fuck. Like I was, I was, I was struggling. Right. Yeah. So I I knew what I wanted and I knew that like the reasoning behind all those things why I wanted that was just so strong that was not gonna stop. And to this day I haven't. You know, that's that's I think what what that why was for me and still is.
0: Man, that makes, that makes total sense, too. I mean, we're, we're kind of going across. I'm pretty sure I just found myself a title for this pod, but we'll, we'll, we'll get after afterwards. Um, fearless. This theme keeps coming up, right? So you just did something that was pretty fucking fearless recently that you celebrated that took 10 plus years. I'm pretty sure if I understand that correctly. So that's uh, you becoming uh, an American citizen, correct?
1: Yeah and and i think that's not something i did like as in like i i'm, I'm fearless i'm gonna do it because it wasn't really a choice that i i could have made um yeah. but becoming a u.s citizen is uh well first of all it's a privilege but it's it's definitely one that comes with a lot of like obstacles in order for you to be able to even get to to become eligible to be one and yeah. that was obviously the kind of the, the biggest hurdles that i had to go through for the past 10 years of my life well not the past yeah. years but for a long time when we come yeah. to this country um It's not easy, you know, for somebody that wasn't born here or is not a resident here. Um, I remember when I was in college, I couldn't work because technically I'm supposed to be able to, like, you know, pay my own stuff. Right. That's like the condition that they gave me when they gave me my visa. Can you support yourself? Right. So that was one thing. And then. You know, finding myself in a really tough situation economically. And it's like, hey, I have to go to like the international student office and saying, like, what can I do? I can't, my parents can't continue to pay for me. And then yeah. give me the opportunity to say, okay, we're going to give you a permission to work in our place. Now, every time I switched to a company, I had to give ask for permission. I had to submit paperwork. So imagine doing that for like literally seven, eight years of my life. Yeah, yeah. And it got to a point where I was given a choice. He was like, well, not given a choice. It's like, your your visa permit is about to excuse me expire so you either like find an employer that hires you with a visa which no that position in dietetics would do that or Mm. you're gonna have to go home and that was not a choice for me i was like i still have way too many things to do and like home is an option this is obviously when things in venezuela started to get a little kind of nasty. It's like, no way I'm not doing that. So then I had to do what I had to do. So I had to like apply for a master's degree. I don't know how I made it happen, but I made it happen. I was driving like two hours just to go to class. uh, Not every day, like three days a week. You know, like it was like I was grinding and I was like nonstop and still working full time, working on Saturdays, like everything just so I could be able to do that. And, yeah. and even so, after I graduated, I had one year to figure out what I was going to do next in terms of that. And it was like, you know, I, I was not a citizen. I was I was still an exchange student. I, I sure. established a company. Not knowing if that was a legal thing to do, right? Somebody yeah. just told me, and lawyers yeah. was like, hey, "As long as you pay your taxes, they shouldn't really kind of be putting a spotlight." And you know, like, well, I did it. Like, you can come after me now, but hey, I'm a U.S. citizen now, so they can <laughs> yeah. do whatever they want. <laughs> so it's <But that's> good. <laughs> I, yeah. So, but I, I, I did things that I I needed to do back then just to make sure that I was able to to kind of stay here. So, so yeah, I, I, I became, I, I was privileged enough to now two weeks ago become a u.s citizen which is obviously kind of like the not the end of a chapter but it's more like you know like the final end goal of like a 12 year journey where Mm. like i saw myself being here and then calling this home right but it i i was kind of like faced with a lot of hurdles in order for that to be the case and that's why they make such a big deal out of that event because it's you know it's not easy and it's expensive and it's it's like tedious and it's like yeah, you either do this or you're going to have to deport, you're going to have to like send you home and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. there's millions of people that go through that every day right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, we mentioned this on your pod, uh, you know, seeing... And we'll make sure that we put this in the show notes so that you could see the image because it's such a fruitful image of uh, you and your get up, you know, got some American flags in your hand and, and the type of joy that I just saw, it's like that childhood joy that you're just like, oh my God, like, I just want to smile with the person. Now, you and I talked about this and you had said, man, uh, the outcry and the support has been so phenomenal. Uh, and you had mentioned too, like, dude, I shed some tears, right? And and I And I kind of want to ask you, like, What part of that journey, I mean, you sort of went on it, like you you talked about how tedious it was, and what you had to do to try to figure it out driving two hours to school and whatnot. Like, what were the what were the tear breaking moments for you during that process?
1: I think like almost it. it I get, um, I guess like the best way to describe it is like you know still trying to be courageous to want to do things, but not being able to do them because there were other things outside of my control that I couldn't really kind of yeah like control myself. But I also found myself actually in a, in a very like tough period of my time of my life, and when I was like 2015 or so. When I was just that negative Nancy, I was just like that victim mentality, like everything is happening to me and I can't mm-hmm. believe this is happening. This is obviously like I, I was just living a very scarcity mindset. That's another big kind of yeah. like, and I realized that most of my life have been in that kind of position, right? To me, yeah. like, you know, spending money and all those different things like that were so difficult for me. And I also lived, no matter how much I wanted to accomplish certain things, I still lived in that scarcity mindset. Like, things are going to run away. And I li- yeah. for 2015, like, I I blame everything that happened to me on that. It's like, I'm not a, I'm not a resident. Like, I can't, like, my visa is about to expire, all those different things. And I would tell that to everybody to a point that people mm-hmm. would just, like, try to, like, avoid me because, like, oh, this guys is going to talk about it. It's like all oh, the struggles that His he's been going through. Yeah. And, and I, when I look back, I was like, man, why was I like that? but you know obviously like the tears came from the perspective of the fact that I overcame those things right like I I learned to become a different person to progress to I I, I actually struggled with a lot of anxiety growing up like it was it, it was undiagnosed but I know for a fact that this is something that I it was really difficult for me to times where I would you know scream in the middle of like you know an empty room just for myself and and just kind of like trying to like you know figure it out how to do life and all that so I you know, those tears were just simply a result of like, finally, you know, like mm-hmm. everything I worked so hard for, everything I, I tried to do, ev- everything of who I am now, it's been here. And this is obviously a proof that I can finally just say like, this is home. This is where it all happened. Yeah. So it just reminded me of all what I've gone through to kind of get to this point. And that was yeah. why it was an emotional moment for me.
0: And again, man, it was just so great to be able to see and, and see the joy. Um, you know, again, having met you later in life and just seeing the the type of fortitude that you put into everything that you do was just it was just really cool to see. And, and for our listeners out there, obviously, you know that by now, like this podcast is about people's heroes' journeys and it's about the habits. And so, you talked about Andres to 2015, you and living in a lot of scarcity, and you talked about how you had to like claw yourself out of that, right? So stemming to where you're at now in 2021 um which habits or mindset things are things that you cannot live without and why
1: so i think the biggest uh kind of change that i that happened to me when i realized that i needed to start living i needed to start to live differently is i started seeing what successful people did um so, I said, you know what? If, Success if leaves to, clues. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I want to I want to start learning to see what is it that, like, these people were doing. So, I remember at the time I was reading books by, you know, Tony Robbins and listening podcasts by Tim Ferriss. And I started in that mm-hmm. kind of, like, kind of thing. And this is where, for example, I discovered the whole thing called morning routine. So, I realized, like, hey, you know what? Like, if I started the day correctly, then I'm going to to kind of have better days moving forward. Um, so I started that. I started waking up earlier. I started to to just win the morning. So I, one of my mentors, like, you know, he's just a really good friend, but I, I would have conversations with him all the time. He is, uh, he's actually the uh, mental conditioning coach for uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays and for the, I think the Cleveland Browns. His name is Justin Sua.
0: Justin Sua. I was about yeah, to say that. <laughs> yeah,
1: Justin Sua. He, he actually, he and I started both an IMG, and he had done a lot of things by the time that he got a position there as a director of mental conditioning. Um, but I would just go to sit in his office and he, he taught me so much. And, and a lot, one of the things that he he always kind of like, you know, taught me was like the whole idea behind resilience and behind like routines and habits. And um, And one thing he taught me was this whole concept about the keystone habit. And he said like, hey, if you mm-hmm. start focusing on one area of your life, and you give it all the energy to try to make it better what this keystone habit philosophy teaches is that you know everything else in your life typically kind of gets better um, and the yeah. keystone habit it's like you know they also think about it kind of like a like an arch right and it's like that keystone like that specific piece that without that yeah. piece the whole thing kind of crumbles Right, So when you focus so much on that specific piece, your entire like, life, like arts typically just kind of like makes sense. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what I did. So I started focusing a lot on, I think at a time it was just more my health and my fitness. I was like, I'm going to work out I'm going to start doing all those different things like that. And that kind of started to make me feel like, okay, like I want to eat better. I want to just like, you know, wake up earlier. I want to be able to do these yeah. things. I want to have more energy and all that kind of stuff like that. And slowly that started becoming my keystone habit. So, some of the habits that really I can't live without now is that, you know, when I don't wake up like this morning, for example, because I did wrong things at night, which means like maybe I stayed up late or I was watching something, mm-hmm. whatever, then I don't start my day the same way that I would if I don't wake up earlier and do all the things that's going to help me. So throughout that path, I discovered things like meditation that has helped me manage my stress and my anxiety better. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because meditation is not a practice that I have implemented and I realized like you just magically kind of changed me. It's like after doing it yeah. so long, you start to realize how you react to life in a different way that 100%. you know, people start to notice like, wow, like obviously my, my people that are so close to me, they're like, you know, you reacted to that a lot different. You know that then all the times where you would just completely like freaked out for days, right? Yeah. So, so those are things that have helped me maintain my my calmness to mm-hmm. kind of navigate entrepreneurship, which is like the biggest kind of like you know emotional roller coaster that anybody can go through, especially somebody not knowing or never have done it, uh, having done it ever in their lives. So mm-hmm. that's what I think it kind of keeps me centered. Um, and when yeah. I try to like when I deviate a little bit more from that center. I try to bring it myself to like, you know, like I also journal a lot. So I I write my thoughts, I write my things, I write like what's kind of happening. Gratitude is a big thing for me now that it's, it's also so ingrained. And I try to reflect on that. Like, what am I grateful for today? Like, I actually wake up this morning, you know, like I, there's people that don't have that luxury. So those, those are big, big ones for me that I feel like are, have helped me shape like my, my day, my weeks, my, my months, my, my years.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we kind of go back to Justin Sua. I mean, shout out to him. Uh, definitely need to have him on. You know, he, he started my mental conditioning journey too. seeing what he posts and, and and everything that he posts inside of his podcast. And one of the things on the rest, I mean, it's a huge reason why it's why it's the name of the podcast. I can't believe I made it because I try to do a lot of work based off of what it feels like for me to make it and what my life looks like and then reverse engineering back. So, I want to ask you the same question. Um, you know, obviously it's the theme of the podcast, right? So, uh, do you feel like you have made it? And if not, what does making it look like for you?
1: That's a good question. Um, I, I don't think I've made it. Um, but I also don't think I haven't, I haven't really made it. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like, I I honestly feel like I'm, um, in a position when I look back, um, Like, again, something else that this mentor will kind of told me at some point is like, you know, like life is just a um, is a journey where you're trying to climb up to a specific point. But your perception typically changes throughout that process. So it's different from a person that if you're starting climbing Mount Everest, right? Mm -hmm. Your perception from the bottom looking up is completely different than your perception halfway through it looking down. Right. So so I think to answer your questions like, have I made it? Well, from the perspective perception where I'm at right now and looking back, sure. I have made it. I've made such a long stride, but when I look in the other way and I look at to see obviously where the top is, I still haven't. Right. And, and the question also, it's kind of becoming like, so, so when will I know that I'm actually at the top? I will know I'm at the top when, when I feel like I can have, I can actually like, it's not kind of not enjoying my life, but I can actually feel that, I get so excited about living my life like, and and, and I, I, I'm literally kind of like accomplishing all these things that are kind of either part of my bucket list or, or the things mm-hmm. that just I like, feel that are going to kind of bring me fulfillment, you know, like raising a family, like having that financial freedom to say like, you know what, like I'm going to take two months off and I'm just going to go yeah. and we're just going to go with the family and we're going to go to freaking China or like, you know, like the yeah. island and just kind of like travel through islands and just do whatever we want. You know, that's a point in my life when I'll say like, I made it right. Like where I have, where I'm giving opportunities to people to, to make money, meaning like, you know, employers and, or, or people that can just like kind of benefit for what we're doing. And also that we're creating impact in people's lives, right. That we can kind of help and serve them. You know, I think we were put in this world because we, especially entrepreneurs are the people that can kind of help serve more and more people in in their lifetimes. That's really what, what we were kind of like, why we're like that's kind of like the why of uh, a person that is kind of building something from the ground up so from my perspective right now uh, i've made it but uh but not to the fullest extent of what i still need to go through uh to be able to get to that top
0: i like that visualization of seeing yourself sort of climb that everest and then looking down compared like yeah hell yeah but then looking up like i still have some areas to continue to work at man. So, um, dude, holy shit. I I'm just so happy. Uh, one to hear this story pretty much all the way through. And then two, I'm even more so happy to continue to, to share our friendship and to see where you go, man. So, uh, I appreciate you taking time. I want to hit you with two more questions before I'm done with you. I know you got a busy ass day. All right. (laughs) Andres is a very busy man, everyone. This, <laughs> this is a big deal. He's out here, okay? Uh, all right, so put your mind space. All right, it's The Hero's Journey. It's a podcast about The Hero's Journey. Put yourself in the mind space of a hero. Uh, I mean, you just actually gave this to me a couple of months ago. I didn't know that you were a huge Marvel person. Uh, but all right, put yourself in in the mind of a superhero. Who is your superhero comparison and why?
1: Um... I would say wow that's a really good question because I'm like going directly into like Marvel. Uh, I just we just watched Black Widow this weekend and it's phenomenal.
0: Ooh, I need to watch.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um I'm going to I'm going through kind of like down the list of all my uh superheroes and and kind of like thinking who I think I would choose. I think I would choose a a a hybrid um superhero. I okay. think I like mixing um iron man and captain america um and the Ooh, reason why okay. i would mix them up is because iron man what i like about tony stark was a person that had vision and that he was again fearless i didn't care what anybody thought like he was just like i'm gonna do this and i'm going to make it happen even though people don't yeah. think it's possible so that's one but I don't like the fact about Tony Stark being somebody that was so selfless. Right. That's a part of it too. That what I would say, like, I will not take like the entire, like, you know, persona of like Tony Stark.
0: (laughs) Of Tony Stark. (laughs) But
1: obviously that's where like Captain America comes in and it's, you know, being a noble person, being a person that is humble, that cares more about others than he cares about himself. And like, he Mm -hmm. would try to put others and serve others in the ways that, you know, like sometimes even again, like, Not always putting himself first. So I think think if you combine those two personalities, that's exactly the kind of superhero that
0: I want to be. Oh, I like that enmeshment too, because you're absolutely right. One is (laughs) really selfish, uh, and the other one is completely selfless. Uh, Damn, I like that. I really like that comparison. Uh, All right, Andras. Where can our listeners uh, follow you? Where can they support you? What projects do you have going on currently or coming up that you're extremely passionate about that we can all uh, as a community support you with?
1: A few places. uh, If you want to listen, you can check out our podcast, which, you know, you Desi are part of that once a month on our Chit Chat series. Our podcast is called The Nutrition Blueprint Podcast, available on all platforms. Um, our the second best place for, for you to reach out to you uh, for us is like um, Instagram. And if you want a little bit more tighter community and connection, uh, we have a, a private Facebook community called Planners Nutrition Club, which is actually changing names pretty soon. Uh, but uh, that's going to be a place where we typically do lives and we do a lot more community engagement. So you get a little bit more like first hand experience into what we do is still for free. Um, and things in the pipeline, we are Right now, um, undergoing and actually a program that we ha- we call the Nutrition Makeover Method, which is a, a process to kind of help you change your lifestyle and build a blueprint for, so you can obviously not get so your goals, but also you also kind of like get to... Um, to be able to sustain that you know i tell people i don't care too much about you achieving your goals but you'll be able to sustain those goals in the long term mm-hmm. so that's uh, kind of like what we kind of got going on right now and of course if you want to learn more about that um you can reach out to us and only any of the previous uh channels that i just kind of shared
0: yeah 100 we'll make sure we put all of his information in the show notes uh having being one of his good friends um man you you got to follow this guy you got to see his journey because it, it's uplifting and it's superhero type shit. So, uh, Andres, my man, I love you, bro. Uh, thank Thank you so so much much for taking some time to tell us a story, man. Uh, go hug your beautiful wife for me, man. I love you. Thank you. Peace out everyone. What's up, high performers, high performance mentor and dietitian Desi here. Before I let you go, I just want to speak to your heart real quick. If there's something inside of one of these stories or inside of one of these episodes that is really resonating with you, it's because I'm speaking to the high performer in you. So there's two things that I want you to do before you get done here. One, if you're looking to surround yourself with other high performers and you're looking to get more of a cue with how to become the high performer that you need to become, I want you to join our Facebook. It's called the High Performers Club. I'll make sure that we. Have that in the show notes of each and every episode. All you got to do is click on the link, answer a couple questions and you're in and you get full access to a wide variety of free videos, free content for you, free ways for you to, to step up and become the high performer that you need to become. On the other end, we also know that information is readily available. It's the application that people need to invest in, in order to get to that point where they have sustainable change towards their habits and towards their high performing selves. And so if you're looking in ways to work with me, please click on the link, fill out a couple of questions and see what kind of spots are available in the moment. I would love to work with you if you are someone who is looking to become the high performer that you need to become, because it's what I do. Love y'all. Thanks for listening.